Hi there, welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And this week, it's me talking to Johnny Lawrence. And Johnny is a self-development coach and the host of the Life Talk podcast, which I was uh, very, very grateful to be a guest on, um, talking around the kind of relationship with alcohol. And so, yeah, now Johnny and I are going to sort of dive into his own experiences and relationship with alcohol and um, and where he's at and his journey. So, hi, Johnny, how are you doing? I'm not too bad. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. We were just having a chat before, weren't we, um, about, well, just the craziness that is the last 18 months and trying to work it all out and um but yeah I'm, I'm all right I'm excited to chat to you and um sort of dive into not only your yeah your relationship with alcohol but I suppose this this episode's going out just before Father's Day so a little bit around you know what impact and the positives you've seen kind of going sober um for your relationship with your kids um so we always start with a little bit about your sobriety journey and I know this is the first time you kind of talked about it right so um, thank you for yeah sharing that space with me Um, so um, what brought you to the sort of decision to go alcohol free well that is a very long-winded answer coming your way (laughs) go on we've got time no I am I uh, just want to say firstly that uh, you know this this story can be quite quite miserable in places um so for anybody that has any issues around sort of domestic violence or child abuse then sort of heads up <laughs> because um it, it's uh it's been a hell of a ride but it's all it's all sort of been the journey I've had to go on really but as I say um I was a witness to domestic violence and uh, a survivor of child abuse um obviously that means I saw my mum getting hurt my brother's sisters getting hurt in some some really quite difficult to um, articulate ways. Mm. Um, There was a lot of physical, but also psychological torture is, is a word that I've, um, I've come to use. Um, I've, I've gone for a therapeutic journey and there's been some uh, reframing of some of the words I use. Um, I used to tell these, these stories to close friends um, and they would be crying, but I would almost tell them as if I was telling a joke. And I've come mm. to realize that's more of a trauma response than it is anything else. Certainly wasn't proud of it, that's for sure. But, um, you know, the hardest part for me early on was um, obviously it was hard being in, a, you know, around that violence and obviously it hurt and stuff like that. But it was for me, the bit I've struggled with from that point has always been the, the memories of watching my mum and my brothers and sisters get hurt. Um, you know, physical violence consisted of like being hit with implements, um, being beaten in front of friends, um, not being able to participate in school very well, couldn't hold a pencil, couldn't hold a rounders bat sometimes um, because I'd be beaten on the hand with a, a wooden spoon. So it was pretty, it's pretty horrible. Um, some of those memories, are, they stay with you and obviously they shape the way you see the world <laughs> moving forward at early times. But the psychological stuff I've come to realise um, was, was quite, quite bad too. Things like um, he would tell me he was going to hurt me, but not, not tell me when. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, there would be times where I'd hear my, my dad get up and go to the toilet and I'd wet the bed and, and things like that. So some of that stuff is... Um, it is is still very raw uh, in my yeah. mind and um going through a journey and having somebody support you and and care for you in their moments um you, you kind of 
I, I was downplayed it quite a lot um, in my own mind, not to others. I was very matter of fact about what happened to me um, and never understood the reactions I would get sometimes. Um, I, I, I almost distrusting of them. I thought it was weird, <laughs> which I, 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 I laugh, but it, it was, there was times where some, some really good friends of mine have just sort of said, I just, I can't hear this. This is too much. Um, but I fast forward quite a way. Um, for me, obviously my relationship with alcohol started when I moved out. Um, there was an incident where I walked in to the living room one day and my mum was holding my, my brother in her arms and my dad was trying to beat him with a slipper. And I'd got quite bigger at this point and I was well on my way to what I didn't realise at the time becoming a professional wrestler. So I had a bit of strength <laughs> and an instinctive reaction took over and I lunged over to him and I pulled him off and threw him across the room. Um, I then cracked myself because <laughs> I thought, what have I just done? And he walked up to me and he looked me in the eyes and he just laughed and he walked away. And my mum, I was 16 years old and my mum said, I'm not sure you can stay here anymore. She didn't do that to be unkind. I think she might have been scared of how that might have escalated. Um, mm. I was getting bigger and in that moment realising my own strength. And I'd always been a young kid wishing I could do something about what was going on, but was obviously unable. Um, so my mum sort of looked into how to get me a sort of council flat. So I did that and I was really lucky, actually, I, I think because of the severity of the situation it was taken quite seriously and at 16 years old almost 17 I found myself living alone in the council flat and you know at that point I just took whatever I could get and not being disrespectful it wasn't one of the best it had a lot of crime and and stuff like that and um, that's where I found myself and I found myself lonely for the first time and um, I went down the shop to get some some gas for my gas meter and there was a a six pack or a four pack of beers why not mm. <laughs> you know so I bought the beers and I went home and um, obviously it wasn't the first night it was a few weeks into it or months into it and it was the first night that I wasn't lonely I had that that company that that alcohol that was with me and um, again this is all stuff that I've come to learn over time you know we trace back when that relationship started and that's the time I can really remember you know being excited about coming home from work or going home from wherever and, and having some beers and being on my own you know again I was I was a social drinker but as a social drinker it was normal you know yeah yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's that, it was, that first moment of it becoming something to cope with yeah yeah with a, a situation and, or a feeling right and it becoming private as well like yeah. something I'd rather do on my own mm. but I mean it the trauma had created so many things that I had built up anxiety about stress about you know I, I had sort of trouble building relationships and trusting people um I had hyper vigilance like I would see like my, my kids call me a fun sponge <laughs> because like I will see danger in anything like anything at all like it's like it's quite ridiculous um and I I, I used to get a lot more fear and paranoia than I do now catastrophize everything self-hatred was just off the chart um and it was just it, it, in my early life, sort of around that teens, early 20s, it was a nightmare for me building relationships with 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 friends, with girlfriends. Um, I just I, I wouldn't allow anyone to love me. I wouldn't allow myself to be happy. I just I realize that now, you know, if only I could speak to some of them poor people that had to part with me. Um, it, you know, yeah, OK, it wasn't my fault, but it still wasn't their fault either. So <laughs> but. Um, uh 
I, you know, I, at that time also, I, like I said earlier, I became a professional wrestler and um, a lot of people find that really random. But like um, when I've gone through my therapy journey, um, I've been, I've come to realize that sometimes you can be comfortable with things that aren't good for you. Mm. And I had become incredibly comfortable with violence, um, yeah. which in every other walk of life is not a good thing. When you're a professional wrestler, it's quite handy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes yeah it doesn't shock me right because you know you see when you kind of look into sort of adverse childhood experiences and I mean that whole study first came from looking at obesity right so it's like why are these people you know so overweight um and you know and trying to look at that and and what they found when they was those people were extremely traumatized and you know their their obesity their their size was a protection you know it was something to keep them safe from being violated or being you know hurt by someone and um and again you know it's that that thing of like right it's actually quite positive right that you use that kind of protection to to sort of tune into a sport where you could you know kind of and that was the only thing you knew right it's kind of expression through uh, you know some sort of violence so well it was an interesting it was a it, you're right it was a teaching moment for me because at first it was like I had so much rage that mm-hmm. you know at the time I was very ashamed of my rage and I was scared of it because mm. my only example of rage was my father you know so to me there was that aspect of rage was losing control mm. so I would fight in the ring at first like I was angry um and then my coach who was a great coach um no longer with us anymore but um, he had his own troubles, bless him. Mm. <laughs> um, but he he taught me that it's, you know, wrestling was about wrestling, not about fighting. Um, mm. Same with boxing. You know, it's not about fighting, it's about boxing. And um, once I started to appreciate the art of it, um, that's when I started to learn the respect. And that's when I would be out and about and people would challenge you, oh, you're that wrestler. And mm. I was able to, I'd walk away, I'd be getting punched in the back of the head, but I was comfortable with my masculinity that I didn't feel I needed to prove anything so I'd mm-hmm. walk away I'd probably swear a little bit in the car but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I would I would get away from that but I mean, I mean things really picked up for me um when I met my wife um she she showed me what happiness meant mm-hmm. and how it could how it could look um her family you know nobody's perfect right no family's perfect they all make mistakes everyone does but um, her family uh, brought her up in a very stable way. And, you know, I remember the first time I met her mum. Now, her mum's a hugger, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> she will she will hug, kiss you uh, if she's going to the loo and coming back. She will hug you, kiss you again. <laughs> you know, but she's like that. And, and I, I only realise now that I, I used to physically be so uncomfortable mm. that it's, I felt so invasive and so weird I thought at the time and and I did get used to it but you know at first I thought it was them I thought they were the weirdos and then I realized "Hmm, might be you (laughs) so so, uh uh, after a while I sort of uh I I started to realize that hang on a minute you know I could learn from these people and and her dad has been an, an enormous sort of um uh positive role model for me um and as you know challenged me in the right ways why can't you do this why can't you do that you know mm. things like that um it supported me in, in lots of ways invested in me um in many ways that um I will never be able to repay you know I've never had kindness like it um mm. and the same from the mum the same from the brother um 
and obviously Caroline, my wife, is 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 great. So um, I was um, yeah, it changed the way I I sort of saw life. Um, it it was it was something a consistent sort of learning. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 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 even to this day, I have to really be aware of of how I'm thinking and how I'm seeing things and the way I act and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, well, I just you know because I think one of the reasons why we connected in the first place was over this kind of you know the conversation around trauma right you know and how it is that especially if it's in your young years you know it is something that has fundamentally changed the shape of your brain you know so it is that you know of course we heal and we adapt and we learn coping strategies but there's you know there is that sort of like you know the fun sponge thing made me laugh you know because I used to I mean I'm much less serious now I don't drink and I'm much better at being hypervigilant because I've done a lot of work around it but I was the same you know they'd jump off the sofa I'd be like oh my god don't do that stop it you know um to the point where my friends would be like you know I'm gonna try and challenge you to sort of just not say be careful for the next couple of hours you know Um, and the rage as well you know I had so much rage um and so I just I really thank you for kind of yeah sharing your story because we're starting to talk more about trauma and it's starting to talk more thank goodness you know in regards to health and mental health but the more people that share their experiences and how it impacts them the more people can go oh yeah me too you know so I just wanted to thank you for well I don't know about you but when you tell your story do you do you recognize the people that understand by the way they react yeah yeah, I do yeah. too. And I see it and I know who needs to hear it. Mm. And uh, some people, thank God, will 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 not be able to relate to this. But yeah. the people that do, there is something about hearing somebody say it and just know that they understand. Mm. Just know that they, they know what it feels like. They know what I'm talking about. Mm. And they're not a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more importantly. But, yeah, I mean, and that's the same as in the kind of sobriety community, right? It's the same yeah. thing. It's like, yeah. Um, yeah, I get it, you know, and that's why community is so important because it's like, you know, you can tell people that are drinkers, you know, till you're blind in their face, but they just, they don't get it, right? They yeah. just don't, they don't yeah. understand, so. No, can't you just have one? It's not helpful. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just going to say it. that. No, yeah. they don't. And, and that's what you have to realise. You just have to go, I'm so happy for you that you don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> if you did understand, then you'd be, you'd be me. But I mean, yeah. but I, I suppose the, the alcohol thing really got notched up for me when my first son was born. Because when he was born, I had the anticipation and the expectation of, oh my gosh, this is going to be that moment, you know, much like my wedding. My wedding was amazing. I loved it. Um, One of the best moments of my life. And here's another one. And you know, it's coming because it's your son being born, right? Or your your child being born. And um, when, when he came out, um, I was holding him and I had this overwhelming feeling of love and, and all these things that you are naturally going to have as a parent. Right. But matching that was this, this other feeling of like oh my god how can somebody do this to their own kid Mm. what what hang on wait and and it just it was like (laughs) it was like malfunction basically um and I didn't know what to do with that information I had this new perspective I'd never been a dad before I didn't know what it meant to be a dad I could hazard a guess but now here I am holding my son in my arms and my dad did 
this to he must have held me and fought this and felt this mm. but yet he and it just it didn't make sense to me it shattered me it, it absolutely just blew my mind and from that not only did I have that to contend with but my wife needed me <laughs> just had a baby it's like the hardest thing in the whole wide world there's this funny story that um we, we get back from the hospital and my wife was obviously just given birth to our son she's having a well-deserved half an hour nap or whatever and the midwife turns up and I'd been being ill all night and uh, I'd been sick and um not slept very well so I'm sort of asking the midwife do you want a cup of tea and stuff like that and my wife lover says oh by the way I don't know if you can do anything but my husband was very ill last night he, he was being <laughs> sick and stuff and she looks at her and she says must be exhaustion I was like oh <laughs> I just seen her give birth to a baby I don't know if she wants to hear that I'm exhausted <laughs> I was saying it was quite funny really at the time but um yeah but um I had the guilt that I wasn't you know, I was doing my best, but I was struggling so much. I really was. Um, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And um, my mum came down and this weird new resentment for her came into mm. the picture as well, which was strange. And it's just the only way I can describe it really was was sort of an unravelling, really. And I was desperately trying not to unravel. I couldn't unravel. This was the worst time ever to unravel. Yeah. <laughs> and I was unraveling. And um, I suppose like I've come to learn, the more you fight it, the more you're buying into it, you know? Mm. And um, that's what was going on. And, um, you know, I, from that point onwards, like my trauma was controlling my reality and my interactions and my encounters with absolutely everyone. And the lens in which I was seeing everything was, was through that um it was it didn't help as well me and my wife talk about it that it was like winter as well so the nights crept in early and all that sort of stuff and with a newborn you, you just yeah. feel you know that feeling of feeling uh, you obviously love love the whole process but that feeling of feeling trapped yeah you know? and and um obviously the the all the ptsd type stuff started to kick in i started to see visions of of things that i'd seen before i was going to bed and then guess what and this is the hard thing isn't it we can say what we like about alcohol, but in the moment it does what you want it to do. Mm. And that's the hardest bit because why would you stop? <laughs> you know, and uh, as I've heard you say before, it starts off with this and then it goes on to this plus this, then mm. this plus this plus this. And before you know it, you, you know, you're drinking to get to sleep, you know, and, and things like that, which I did, you know, um, and it was a private thing for me. You know, I, I would look at it as like, you know, my wife's in bed, my kids are in bed. I'll just have some wine. Um, and then I was, so I was watching telly, but I wasn't watching. I was just zoning out, thinking about things, trying to, uh, as my thing has always been to try and outthink things, you know, yeah. uh, really good at that, apparently. <laughs> um, and I was just, I was exhausted, just exhausted. And the alcohol sort of helped me handle it. Um, and what, what, I've, what I've come to realize now was my alcohol consumption was an unwillingness to experience difficult or uncomfortable emotions. I just, I didn't want to. I couldn't, you know, you know, that feeling of daydreaming of wanting to go back and just, what if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? If I changed this, if I changed that and just not being able to do it, that helplessness, mm. that all that, you know, um, and the alcohol just sort of took that away. I don't know how or why it just did, you know, um, and it meant I could just exist. <laughs> I could get through because I knew at the end of the day I was going to be able to to drink, you know. Yeah, and um, and, and that's the sort of, you know, 
looking at it through a compassionate lens right it's like you know that was a way of coping with your trauma right so that was a way of keeping you alive essentially at that yeah. time you know so as you're saying it like helped you to survive and and I think this is the thing when we start to unpeel the layers and we start to really look at our lives and and why we develop problematic relationships with alcohol or any other substance thing or you know whatever it is it's like it was a coping strategy to, for pain you know yeah. and and so there's no shame there because it's like you did what you did before you knew a, a better way and that's it you know and and it's so readily available and it's so no one challenges it that it's very easy to for it yeah. to become something problematic um I and mean, yeah you... I, I relate I mean I sort of would drink to knock me out it was just to, to knock out the noise because every day I'd think about my trauma every day like I'd walk to work in the morning I think I'd be trying to work out what really happened what was true what wasn't yeah like was that did I make that up is that true like I'm oh. not sure like over the same <laughs> yeah. questions over and over and over and over again that disassociated state of like it all feels a bit dreamlike I'm not really sure what's real what's not every day walking to work and then every night before when I lay down to go to sleep for like 20 years do you know what I mean <laughs> so um and it's anyway, honestly yeah. like it's honestly like that you know you're you I said it before to you um by messaging you know you don't know the impact that you've had on on me personally you know that that meeting wasn't it couldn't have been by mistake you know like you know, we spoke at the time when I just made the decision to do it. And, yeah. you know, I, I know we could laugh about my little panic message to you that time <laughs> when, Trace, when I was, uh, I, I, I was uh, looking to buy a, a non-alcoholic alternative and it, I wasn't sure about the percentages and I was proper panicking and you were like, chill out, calm down. <laughs> and I, I you know, we laugh because it was funny, but it was, it was really, I mean, you've been so kind and, your your podcast especially notably the one with josh mm. uh, that that hit home for me just the honesty the rawity of what he was saying uh, it's the first time i've ever heard another man articulate yeah the feelings that i had like that and mm. i um yeah i got lost in that podcast. i've listened to it a couple of times because mm. i've never heard anyone articulate it quite that way that's he hit the nail on the head <laughs> yeah he's amazing he's amazing i mean and what what's so wonderful about these journeys you know is like like we take out one thing and yeah it's really hard and yeah there's a hell of a lot of learning to be done but it's like look how what people become mm. you know when you look back at Josh and who he is now or you or me it's like wow like we're definitely better versions you know yeah. and, that, and, that, and that's it though like, you know like like I, I got to a point where I didn't just want to exist. Mm. I wanted, I wanted to thrive and I felt like imprisoned by like um, alcohol. Like I felt like it was like, a, it was the weird feeling of commitment that I had to it. It's like that. Everyone's got that mate. That's just not good for them, but they're always there. <laughs> and that's what alcohol was like. It was like, I could rely on it. Um, mm. And, you know, like I said, I did it in secret and the imposter syndrome that it created for me because I was a health and fitness coach. The patronization that used to come out of my mouth, like when I was talking to people and telling them they should be doing this, they should be doing that. And then I had this, these bouts of shame drinking at the weekend yeah. where I just 
disappear into myself and what it must have been like for my wife and my children and all the guilt that comes with that and it was just it was just too much it was a perpetual cycle of of, of it was just feeding itself do you know yeah. what I mean it, uh, um but you know when when I'm I, I tried to go you know like like what you said again like w- resonating with you so much when we spoke on my podcast and, and you were saying that you tried you had them bouts of of I can do it for six weeks I can do it for that and and I was doing all that and then for the first couple of weeks, I, I, I'll just have a beer and I'll be okay. And I'll just have mm. a, two beers and then oh, I might have some wine with you. And before you know it, we're back to square one again, mm. you know. Um, and then it wasn't until I, um, I was speaking to somebody and everyone I'd met that was sober way before I met you. Um, they were a bit preachy, yeah. which put my defenses up a bit. Um, which wasn't helpful and it wasn't their fault. I'm not saying the blame in them. It was just, I wasn't ready to hear it. But then I met this one person and he was sober. And I, you, know, you know, when you're sober curious, you're like, so what, what will you do if this happens? What will you do? And I was asking all these questions and, and the guy was a bit older and he looked at me and he went, I can see that you're curious. And I'm like, I, I am. And he was like, is everything okay? And I'm like, well, I'm considering it. And he's mm. just like, yeah, okay. And he went, well, How's it? Have you tried it in the past? I said, yeah. And he said, and I said, has it gone? I said, well, I'm still drinking. <laughs> and he said, well, you haven't had enough pain yet. And that struck me because I was like, Ooh. okay, mm. I haven't had enough pain yet. And I was just like, he's like, when you get to the point where you're like, I can't do this anymore. That's when you're ready. And that was the feeling I had. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't see myself doing this for I can't see myself making these promises and breaking them to myself all the time chipping away at my self-esteem you know I can't do this anymore you know mm. and that sort of just went round and round in my head you know and I was he, he planted a seed and you know the sadness is I'd never seen that guy again and uh, you know I'd love to see him I'd give him the biggest hug <laughs> I really would but now like, you're the hugger yeah, oh, yeah. Look at me now. How, how far I've come. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, I, I had 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 enough. I'd had mm. enough. I wanted to be better. Now, that's not to say that people that drink aren't good or whatever. It. I just I wanted to be better in the person I was being. I could feel there was someone in me that wanted to get out and mm. wanted to help and wanted to do these things, but I couldn't do it that way. And you know, I've done a lot of self development, and one of the things I'm most proud of about myself at the moment is how I've managed to reframe some of the things that and they've become like mantras to me and it's like with my hypervigilance I take that hypervigilance and I say to myself I notice my surroundings and it helps me find opportunities Mm. Uh, I take that feeling of dread and I know from talking to athletes on game day that when you're excited and when you're nervous, the same hormones released. It's only your perception of that hormone that creates excitement or nervousness. So when I have that feeling of dread, I teach it, I treat it the same way I do nervousness by saying, you're not nervous, you're excited. <laughs> um, and see how we go. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, no, I call bullshit on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm actually but, really terrified yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm actually really scared. <laughs> but like uh, the fear and paranoia, thank you for keeping me safe. You know, um, catastrophization, where's the evidence? What's the worst that can happen? If the worst happens, then what? Is it really mm. as bad as, it, as I think it's going to be? So like you say, kid jumping off the sofa, the kid might just learn to stop jumping off the sofa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, um, hopefully not the hard way. And then lastly, the sort of self-hatred, just 
remind myself what I like about myself. Mm. You know, I love my children, I love my wife. I know I'm supposed to, but you know, I try really hard. <laughs> yeah. To be as good of a dad as I can. And and that's the other thing, you know, I nearly I nearly lost it the other day when I heard my son just say, Dad. I love that you've been my the guy I speak to is a, a wonderful chap named Maliki. You know, I'll scream from the rooftops. He's helped me so much. And um, he I, I tell my kids about it. I, I, I realized not to be ashamed of it and to mm. say, you know, daddy needed help and daddy went to get help. And and these are the things that he's helping me with. And um, <laughs> I remember when I told my son I wasn't going to drink beer anymore. And he went, so who's going to give me shandy? And I was like, oh, it's all about you. I forgot. <laughs> but, you know, you'd have a lemonade. I'd put a little drop of beer in the top for him. And that was all he was devastated about. I was like, cool. <laughs> but like, you know, hearing them give me feedback, like, oh, dad, you know, it's nice for you to, to, to want to come to these. Because, you know, you're hungover, right? Yeah. I'm not going to go to rugby at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday because I'm hungover. Mm. The shame of that, you know, the guilt of that. Um, and I don't have to feel that way anymore. Um, mm. Partly because I don't play rugby, but <laughs> but they do other things now. And, and <laughs> I was going to say I was at rugby on Sunday. Like, oh man, it was it was actually no. I'll I'll be family because I never go to rugby. But um, my son was being the ball boy for like um, it was like the French ch- championship at a certain level, um, and the atmosphere was fantastic. Like I forgot what it was like to be around people and they were singing and stuff like that so I actually it was quite a good buzz I was like hmm, maybe I need to like actually be interested in sport it was a fleeting moment but anyway uh, it will come back I'm sure. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same as like I think it's that group experience it's like collective kind of joy um that I think we've all been missing it's like what I used to get at festivals yeah. with music like when I ran you know and you do a half marathon and you've got the crowd cheering you on like stuff like that it's cool like it really is like that sort of feeling of togetherness in in that way so I was like mm, I definitely am am missing some of that yeah I'm it's one of the things I loved the most about wrestling was the was the crowd and, and yeah you know stuff like that and I eventually went into pro wrestling so there was a bit of you know I, I noticed you complimented my acting skills the other day it's all from wrestling trying yeah. to sell trying to sell a fight yeah <laughs> I know I'm quite intrigued about like what is it yeah what's what's actually going on I used to watch the the wrestling with my brother mm. randomly but um yeah and then well, he tryouts his moves on me yeah uh, I just did that to my yeah. brother he, he reminded me of this the other day but I mean I uh one is uh, as as a, everything with me. It's quite a sad connection, really. Is that there was something about watching the American wrestling and the music and the commentary and the over embellished characters, and it was a form of escapism to me mm. as a young age, you know. And uh, it was it was a comforter, you know. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I ended up doing it and meeting some of my my sort of childhood heroes and stuff. It was cool. It was cool. I must yeah. Admit. <laughs> uh, I um I used to work for a champagne bar as my sort of summer job when I was at university and um one we one of our kind of gigs was at the Earl's Court and we did we had a champagne bar at the the wrestling when they came to London and so I saw it all I saw the live performance it was cool it was a really like big show with loads of pyrotechnics and music and um so back to yeah you're sort of because this is coming out around Father's Day what what have you noticed because we were talking before that your your son has some neurodiversity um so that's challenging right you're Mm. you know care for the carer um 
what have you noticed about your kind of relationship with your kids or that's changed since you stopped drinking? The big one, and, you know, I've had to work on being able to say this out loud, was I would choose alcohol over my children. Mm. And that was that was something that I, you know, again, I had that, I, I suppose I do still carry a bit of shame for that. Um, I wish, 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 wish it wasn't the case. But, you know, there'd be, there'd be certain places that we'd go, houses or whatever, and I'd be more focused on, you know, not even the drink in my hand, the one that was coming after that, you know, yeah. and, and stuff like that. And um, that, 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 that's changed a lot. You know, I'm much more present with my children now. I'm much more able to focus. And, and again, it takes a lot for me. I'm constantly, you know, I'm a self-development coach, but I'm on this journey too. Um, I always will be. I will never know everything. I never, you know, I'm always trying to upskill and learn. And randomly, I learn in the most random of places as well, you know, um, from the most random of people. <laughs> um, but I, um, I'm more present with my children. I'm more patient with them. Um, you know, like I used to, you know, do things like we'd be on the sofa and they would snuggle in for a cuddle and there would be this this anguish about it for me. I, I don't know. Yeah. I just still don't fully understand that. But there'd be this sort of uncomfortableness, this anguish about it. And I suppose what I've learned more than anything is, and this is this is the bit that I get excited about. This is the bit for me that I was presented with, do you know, you can just accept things. Mm. And that was the game changer for me it was like uh the guy i, sp I speak about maliki he, he's got this theory he's like well can you accept that can you accept that you did that and i'm like no and he's like okay well can you accept that you can't accept that <laughs> yeah. and i'm like and i laugh like you do yeah and he said sounds like we're on the path to acceptance and i'm yeah. like oh. and it's that feeling of like okay, this is uncomfortable. My son's, you know, it doesn't go away. It's something you have to sort of mm. nurture within yourself. And my son nestles in with me and we're watching a film together, a Disney movie or something, Moana usually. Yeah. <laughs> oh Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I've got like tattoos all over me. So I get this a lot for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, um, and I can do the peck thing. I'm not going to do it now. You know, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone but... listening would be like, <laughs> I don't want to see that trust me but but um but now I know that yes it's uncomfortable yes I'm feeling all these feelings just sit there and accept mm. it just be there accept the uncomfortableness the point six for, for a few for a few weeks and months six o'clock on a Saturday trigger time you know oh, I really want to drink sit with it sit with it just sit with the feeling just sit with that feeling. Yes, you feel uncomfortable. Yes, you're anxious. Yes, you're frustrated. Just, just be with it. And when I say sit with it, I don't necessarily mean literally sit with it. Maybe you go for a dog walk. Maybe you yeah. do do something else. But the key is not to distract. Well, for me anyway, the key for me was not to distract myself too much. Start to actually get to know these emotions. Start to get to know mm. these feelings. Start to actually welcome them into your life because they're all there for a reason. Yeah. All of them are good or bad, however you want to label them. They're all there for a reason. And for me being able to like sit there and say you know what I'm pissed off you know it's not fair that I that I can't have alcohol why can they have alcohol and I can't you know I'll, I'll let that self-talk happen but I won't attach to it yeah I'll just let it come and I'll let it go and I'll say you're done now Johnny you're done with your little strop <laughs> you know but I, and, and one of the biggest things of acceptance for me and I'm sure you'll relate is it's not fair 
that someone can come in your life and absolutely devastate it like they've done and get away with it. Mm. That's so hard. That was so hard for me. That was the hardest acceptance. And some days I unaccept it. (laughs) (laughs) But but majority of the time I just accept and I try to have compassion towards why that person became the person they are Mm. and what must have happened to them and what they got taught and what they learned and, and what, what, what he's missing out on, Mm. you know, he's missing out on, you know, I, I get lots of messages now because, you know, um, doing a lot on social media, trying, trying to give different perspective and any wisdom I can pass along from the unfortunate learnings I've had learned the old way, <laughs> trying to save some people some hurt. <laughs> and uh, I get some messages from um, old neighbours mm. that say really kind things like, oh, you know, your, your father's missing out on a really nice chap, a really good boy, really good lad, you know. And it's like, yeah for the first time in my life I'm like yeah he really is like mm. wait he really is like I'm a I'm a kind person I'm a nice person and you know he's missing out on my my children he's missing out on my wife he, you know far from anything he's missing out on a sunny holiday to Cornwall right? yeah. Yeah, he's, he's royally screwed that up <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well fair play to you because it's not an easy place to get to like mm. at all but um I think it's well, I think the the beautiful thing about learning about emotional intelligence is just like it this will pass, you know, it's like it will pass, you know. And I mean, I was terrified of death also ever since I was a little kid, you know, and then like when someone died, I was like, I don't know whether I can I can handle it. Mm. But I did. So it's like these things, you know, you get you get through them or you get help, you know, because there's certainly been times in my life where it's like, mm, there's not a lot change in there for me on a day-to-day basis. So it's kind of that. It's like, what, what can you sit with? And then if you can't, you get help and then let people support you. And you had that with your lovely wife, you know, and your, and her dad and that, those kind of people that become your support network. And um, yeah, um so like I said don't underestimate your role (laughs) (laughs) you're you're like me you can't you can't handle the compliments can you (laughs) I'm like anyway move on um yeah but thank you I'll acknowledge it oh I like that thank you (laughs) (laughs) I'm working on it done a lot of therapy I'm the same (laughs) going red but um yeah so um yeah what about kind of self-care practices so like obviously sitting with it is part of it but you know how do you self-soothe how do you cope with kind of your difficult emotions how do you have you filled that hole I suppose that alcohol was was filling for you um I mean you might not all have have all the answers right now I think that's no I I don't think I don't think I I've you know one of the concepts that that Maliki introduced me to was that we don't want to be in a position where we feel we need to give up alcohol. We want to do the work so that alcohol gives you up. Mm. And at, when he first said that, I was like, all right, Mr. Miyagi, what are you talking about? I don't know <laughs> yeah. what you're on about. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. But it's, it's like anything in self-development. It doesn't make sense until it makes sense mm. because you're not ready to hear that yet. You know, at the beginning, I just wanted somebody to make it all go away. Yeah. But that's not, that's not the game, is it? You know, and... Um, so my self-care practices um, I want to be a meditator so much (laughs) I'm just 
not very well I'm not very good at it I don't think <laughs> I I sit there with my thoughts and I I do the breathing and all these things and then I end up thinking about what I'm supposed to be doing later and oh my gosh have I double booked this and then I'm like, oh no 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 meditation back to that, back to that. Yeah. Uh, but but like um yeah I, I don't know I don't know I I I know that compassion is a massive one for me mm. I'm a lot kinder to myself than I used to be you know even little things like I, I didn't even realize the language I used sometimes. Like when I would train in the gym, like I would never do this to a person. Like anytime I train people, I, I want to know how to fit exercise and, uh, and stuff into their life. I want to make it something fun that they look forward to. And a lot of, I ended up training a lot of women and I credit that partly to the fact that my mum taught me to be a man. So I have that perspective and she used to call me her life coach when I was a kid, you know, I was doing, we were talking through her debt and um, how she was going to get, I remember begging her to, to leave my dad at about eight years old, but we couldn't afford it. You know, mm. it's one of those things, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> I lost my train of thought now. I'm a babbler, aren't I? <laughs> when you're in the gym, you weren't kind to yourself. Oh, no, I was, um, I Your language, say, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna, I, I was gonna destroy myself in the gym. I was gonna go and have a punishing workout. I was gonna do do all these things, and that's, I suppose, just recently, I've just come to realize that I, I, I need to stop punishing myself. Yeah. Because I was finding other ways to do it. I was going in the gym and training so hard that I could barely move the next day. I was, I was taking food away from myself, mm. and it wasn't for anything. It was, it was, it was punishment for mm. myself, and that's a realization that I've come to like I've got to stop punishing myself I've got to stop taking sleep water exercise and all these things and punishing myself and I would never do it to another person but for some reason the rules are different for me mm. you know and it's it's stuff like that that self-care I think to answer your question actually I think it's just acknowledging that self-care is a thing because I've, I've historically just been so terrible at it you know <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, it's quite a loaded question, right? Because majoritively people that end up with problematic relationships with alcohol, you know, haven't been looking after that there's been some disconnect from self for whatever reason. And so self-care is like an alien term. I was like, what are you talking? I don't know. You know, I don't have an hour for myself. I, you know, all that people pleasing and the filling up with stuff and things and, um, and I do think it self-compassion is basically what it is is like that that fundamental element of care of self like you know understanding that you have needs and understanding that you deserve to meet your needs um and that you yeah that you're worthy um and I stole something from you on that front I I stole the whole put your hand in your heart and ask Uh, yourself what you need honestly that was a game changer I looked a bit of a plonker standing in the living room what do you need Johnny Lawrence (laughs) sorry I interrupted you that's all right yeah well it's but it is it's that well it's all sort of reparenting work isn't it basically it's like absolutely you know coming back to like in that scared you know teenager little child whatever you know, it's it's talking to them and and having that relationship with them and and looking after them really. Um, so tell us about you know your podcast. Why why did you set it up? Um, the work you do, how people can work with you. You know, do a bit of promo. <laughs> Again, I, this is where you spot my flaws because I'm terrible at this. <laughs> no, well, I would hate it if someone said that to me. I'd be yeah, like, oh. I'm going to get you back on again. I'm starting with that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm. I 
the podcast was was more of uh as I was getting deeper and deeper into my own self-development I'd always been into self-development you know but as as I got deeper and deeper into self-development for myself I wanted to speak to people about it Mm. and every time I'd have these conversations with people I'd be like everybody should know this mm. <laughs> you know so I started a podcast with that in mind and um it's kind of taken the mind of its own and as as you rightly know that the, these podcasts do that and they, they yeah. become a big baby commitment to you and a passion project and I love it I love everybody I speak to and I, I genuinely get something out of every episode that I I do uh, I believe there's some form of wisdom or knowledge in mm. there that everybody should know um you know and, and it doesn't matter if they've got like, you know, 100,000 followers on Instagram. It doesn't bother. I don't care about that. You know, good for them. But it's not about that. It's it's not about money or or anything. It's about spreading wisdom, knowledge, um, helping people um, for nothing. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. uh, just like I do from your podcast and I listen to this and, you know, just like I said, with the one with Josh and many others, um, was it Adam... I can never say his surname. Um, forget his name now. Rampage or oh, Andy, Andy, Andy Ramage. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. His was another good one, and and there's yeah. been so many different people on there, um, um, male and female that I've got you know different bits from. So podcasts are really powerful. But um, over lo- over lockdown as well, when I was unable to sort of train people physically, I, I set up a sort of support network on via Zoom, as I think everybody got used to Zoom. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I started writing, writing stuff out. Um, and before I knew it, I sort of got the bare bones of what looked to be a course. Mm. And it was um, just sort of really going back to basics and, and helping. And, and then during lockdown, I decided to trial it on one particular client um, who had had a significant amount of trauma. Um, and I, I, I'm a coach. I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not a counsellor. But we didn't focus on the trauma, but we focused on the idea of moving forward. Mm. And what I've come to realize, having read some of my testimonials, is that I've always been a life coach. Yeah. I've always, I've, uh, you know, one of the things that comes through all the testimonials is Johnny helped me change the way I think. Because the fact is, if you want, if you come to me and you want to lose weight, okay, here's a, here's an exercise program. Here's a, here's a, here's some diet advice. There you go. Technically, that should work. Yeah, I suppose the formula is eat less and do more. But mm. telling someone eat less and do more is like telling someone that came second in the race, do you know what, mate? You should have run faster. <laughs> it's like, cheers, bud. Yeah. <laughs> That's really helpful. <laughs> so what I need to know is what are you thinking? What's what are your actions that you're taking? What are the behavioral traits that are keeping you where you are? You're stuck for a reason. People, if people really want something, they do it. They don't not do it. So why are you not doing it? What's going on there? You know, and I realized for me, it was coming back to my values and beliefs. I realized I'd adopted so many values and beliefs from external sources that I just didn't even know who I was anymore. Mm. So I had to really go back and do that work and figure out what my values and beliefs were, answer some difficult questions. I had to really figure out what I wanted in my life. What do I want? What do I want to be? What do I want to do? You know, and the podcast became something I was enjoying. So I was like, well, I'm going to keep feeding that. Um, doing this coaching I was as I was over lockdown I was coaching my clients I was doing this course um that I was sort of organically happening and blossoming in front of me and it wasn't until I got this message after 12 weeks of working with somebody and they said to me I've been on antidepressants 
for three years and have never dreamed of coming off them. I am now off them. And I can honestly say, I don't know the last time I felt this happy. And mm. I was sort of like, oh. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. And I was just like, okay, I want to do that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I've refined the course a bit and I've started to like, um, you know, I, I, as you know, I went going through the coaching academy and stuff like that. And I'm just really sort of really homing it in. I, I've got a bit of help with it because it, it I, I sort of, for the first time in my life, I'm going to invest in myself mm. and I'm going to do it for the purpose of helping people. Um, and I do that through my social media. I try to give out as much wisdom in, in serious ways, comical ways, whatever I can do to get people to hear what I believe will help. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's free. The podcast is free. And then um, um, it's only in this moment I realized I'm calling it life school, which is what you've got. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like gimmick infringement. <laughs> but, yeah, we but, won't be the first or the, la- or the last, but that's fine. As long as it's not called Love Sober Life School, then that might be, you know. No, I don't think I could. It's going to be the, um, the Johnny Lawrence. Life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really like that's a long winded tale. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. And it's just about like, I haven't got the answers. I haven't got any advice I'm just there to support and draw them answers that you know you know we all know what we should be doing but to be honest the reason you're not doing it's because it's terrifying it's probably because there's a really big decision you have to make that you've been avoiding Mm. and actually what I've seen the whole time is that honestly and truthfully it comes down to what you told me that time what do you need Mm. what are you not giving yourself that you need and why aren't you doing that? You know, and, and what, what, what is it? What will it give you more importantly? You know, one of the, the lines I remember from the podcast that you said was um, it's not what's being taken away. It's what it's giving you. Yeah. And alcohol has given me back freedom. Sorry, not having alcohol has given me back freedom. Yeah. And that's what it's given me. So really, yes, it's hard. Obviously, it's hard. We all know that it's really mm. difficult. And, you know, have I been challenged? I don't know, because I've been in lockdown. And there'll be parties that come along, but I can tell you something for nothing. I'm very stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, my focus moving forward is, is to continue to, 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 to talk to really cool people on the podcast and to, to get this live school up and going and to get people just to help really, and to support people in any way I can. Oh, I love it. Well, we're coming to the end. So uh, we always finish with a tip of the day and your reason to love being sober. Uh, My tip would be, discover what your values and beliefs are mm. um, and recognize that you, you aren't your emotions. Um, you're, you're not your emotions. You are not an angry person. You're not a toxic person. These are all things that come and go just like happiness. Don't, don't think you can be happy all the time. Cause that's not a thing. <laughs> you know, I, I recognize happiness in things like chucking a crisp to my dog and watching it eat. It, it makes me laugh so much. <laughs> that's <laughs> happiness. <laughs> that's happiness in the moment, you know? Uh, yeah. A, I want some crisps now and, and B, I want a dog. But yeah. I, that's my that's our mission for next next year, probably, is to get a dog. We've never had a dog. so. All right. Well, there you go. That's a nice thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. And when you do, I want you to feed it a crisp and, and try. Just try not to laugh at a dog eating a crisp. It's very funny. <laughs> but that's happiness to me. That is yeah, 100%. Happiness is in, is in the like, little bits. It is. And, yeah. and it, it, that's the real that's the real thing. That's you know it's allowing yourself to see it to stop thinking that you need to be a size 12 
that you need to have this car, you need to have this house, because that's not happiness. Mm. Happiness is going on all the time, just like misery is, just like anger is. And that my advice is just to realize that you're not your emotions and just to sit with them and allow the emotions to come. Um, and maybe, just maybe, they might be trying to teach you something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I love it. And your reason to love being sober. Freedom. Absolute freedom. Freedom from not obsessively worrying or concerning myself about alcohol. Not feeling guilty for choosing alcohol over people I love. And just being free from that commitment that I I, I gave to alcohol. Yeah. You know? Absolute freedom. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, yeah I'm just really, well, I'm really happy for you that you're, you know, that you've sort of conquered that, that first part of your sober journey, you know, and I'm excited yeah. to, to see where it goes and just that, yeah, I mean, you, you give so much. So thank you for, you know, your, your Instagram is brilliant and you give so much well, brilliant you. advice so um yeah everyone check him out and um thanks so much for your honesty and your yeah just your kind of openness really so um yeah, i'll have a vulnerability hangover tomorrow <laughs> yeah but that's the thing right we learn yeah. it's okay you yeah. know it's okay and once you kind of expect it, it's like you will maybe but then you'll be okay won't you you know because yeah. it's it's part of that but well, this is literally the first time I've ever spoken about it publicly. So, and and like, can I just say, it's been an absolute honour for to be on here. This is a podcast I listen to all the time. So it's going to be properly weird when I get myself <laughs> on here. Uh, yeah, and uh, and as always, as as again, I'm so grateful for you, Mandy. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that was so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. So if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, do reach out. You know, reach out to johnny reach out to us at uh, info at lovesober.com you know don't feel like you're alone right we've all got stories and we've all got experiences but um the one thing is that we're all human beings and we can reach out and and look after each other so um there's no shame and no blame um just get in touch and um yeah we'll see you next week for more chat <laughs>